All right, we will get started. Welcome to the Adult Sunday School. We're on our second of 11 weeks that we're going to be dealing with the topic of social justice. I really encourage you, uh, if you haven't, if you weren't here last week, to go listen to the lesson because I just don't have time to repeat. Um, I was a little surprised as I listened to it this week. Uh, it didn't come out as muddled as it was in my head. And uh, that's good. But on the other hand, I think you should really... I was hoping to maybe communicate how muddled the situation is, so that wouldn't be a bad takeaway either. This is an issue that's so multi-layered. It, your views on other things affect what you will come to on this topic. Um, and as, as you start to study, you start to peel away. That's not a reason to avoid it. That's not a reason to think, because I'm, I'm promoting that evangelicals can be quite a bit all over the place. I really think you should come to some really specific positions. Um, that doesn't mean they break fellowship. That doesn't mean you look down at your brother or sister who thinks differently. But it's going to take time. And if you've not really uh, dove into this subject, I can promise you, um, you don't know even know. I, I After, you know, 10 months or so looking at this, I, I feel like I'm really just scratching the surface. And some of you live this a lot more and have thought about this a lot more. So even in 11 weeks, we're just we're just scratching the surface. It's just to challenge your heart, get you thinking, get us thinking as a church. And so pray that you would approach it that way and deliberately think through these things. If you want things, uh, I have so much material I, I can uh, send you if you want it, or you can follow up in discussions. But, but please, interact with me too, especially early on in the series, so I can kind of formulate the end of it. If you pay attention to the handouts each week, you'll notice that my weekly structure keeps changing, because I'm... I don't even know exactly how the series is going to go. I'm just, I have 11 weeks, I'm going to use them. So I'm going to do my best there. Mark, would you mind opening us in prayer? Father, thank you for this morning when we can be with your people and hear you speak to us from your word. We pray that you would bless us this morning and bless our teacher as we contemplate this sensitive subject of social justice that you would give us compassion uh, for those in our midst uh, regardless of what they think or how they look and um, that you would be glorified in all Amen. So again, a lot of these topical issues we want to be biblically faithful, pastorally sensitive, and culturally conversant. Uh, the goals have been, first of all, just individually, how to love your neighbor. I'm doing a lot of reading ahead for the future weeks, and I am absolutely humbled <laughs> by how much the scriptures talk about the poor. And so, if nothing else, if you're on the far right margins here and you don't even like the word social justice, um, that, if nothing else, get from this. Challenge yourself, where is your heart in line with God's heart for the, the weak and the poor? I, I know for sure mine is not in line. With, with just the priority that God gives in the scriptures. And so it's something that's really challenging my own heart, which is great. In all these issues, we just want to learn in general, but also specifically on this topic, how does our faith, how does our worldview um, speak to the culture? And how do we absorb what the cultural conversation is? Uh, and how does our faith interact with it? How does it challenge us? I want to also look at, we'll look at this very directly next week, is, like I said last week, individually... Everyone's going to agree individually. There's something. There's a way to be just, uh, and and however far you go left on this spectrum, will how how proactive and how active you are in social justice. It's it's harder in my mind to get to the answer of what is the local church's position in that. Is it the mission of the church to work for social justice? We'll hit that directly. It's exactly what this book is trying to answer, among other things. And then I want to look at us as our church, Spring Meadows. I don't want to stay in the theoretical realm. We're about to move to a new property. How will that move to a property help us in our vision to work for things like the economic and social reform of Las Vegas, which is what our vision statement says. So I, I really want to get specific and practical here. Um, I don't have goals on things like politics and specific policies, specific issues that you should be involved in. Um, I tried to go to Romans 14 and show just an analogy of Christian liberty. 
Um, someone did point out that it's not a perfect analogy, and I knew that. You know, when Paul was dealing with, is it right to eat meat or not? There is a right answer there. It's just that you shouldn't break fellowship on it. When it comes to this issue, I, I, I want to say that there is a place to the left and the right. It's not really along a spectrum because at that point you've lost the gospel in my mind. That's what I mean. You could be someone who's for social justice and way out here. You, you don't have God's values. You certainly don't have God's approaches. People can be very violent. They're very passionate about the issue. Um, but it's, it's done in a completely non-gospel way. You can be very concerned about social justice, but to the point that you're indifferent. Your heart is cold. And so there is a right or wrong. If I felt like a friend of mine was wrong in this issue, this is not a liberty issue. I'm going to challenge this. Because out here I'm concerned about their grasp of the gospel. Now probably somewhere along the margins, near the edges here, I think someone's wrong, but I'm not going to break fellowship over it. I'm not going to be an issue. And that's more in line with like Romans 14. But there's also a big area here um, in the middle where these are more opinions. These aren't really Christian liberty issues. There, there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong. For instance, my conscience, I don't think I could vote for a candidate who is for abortion. That is not a standard I could lay on another Christian. I just can't. I could, I could make arguments for it. I could be very passionate about it. And so there, there are a lot of details in the middle of where we're going to disagree, we'll be passionate about, but we always have to come back to our Bibles. We gotta come back to God's Word. We gotta, we gotta deal with this issue in a biblically faithful way. And as we, as we're around people in and out of the church, we need to be very sensitive. They have their position for a reason, right? And so you don't just have to attack the reason. You need to sit down, have a cup of coffee, have a conversation, maybe a long conversation over many months. How did they get there? What do they mean? You might find some of your own presuppositions and your own logic is flawed and you need to be challenged. And so I think we do need to approach the subject with a lot of charity. And yet, we've got, we've got to be aware of where the gospel is. And you, where you put the border here might be where different than where I put it. Same in Christian liberty. I have not thought it would be helpful to start naming names. If you think that would be helpful, uh, let me know. I don't want to divert ourselves from the issue to maybe specific, you know, Twitter feeds or organization statements or, but if you find it helpful, I will name one name today because we're going to basically use his book. Tim Keller is, in my mind, on the side of transformationist. And I'm basically today going to, to give his position on social justice, um, without telling you if I agree or not. Um, De Young, who we're going to read next week, actually has some critiques on the way he goes about this. So these are, these are things that friends can disagree on. Um, so today's going to be a lot. This is a great book. It's definitely worth reading called Generous Justice. And for those who want a bibliography, I can start to put that together for you as well. Uh, we looked at some of the challenges there, all those multi-layers. We looked at what is the concept of fair. Is it uh, equality of opportunity? Is it just systems? Is it everyone gets a fair shake? Or are we working for equal outcomes? Everybody gets, we give them what they need to get to where they need to be. And I suggested that that's very situational. It really depends uh, on, the, on the topic, on the situation, on the organization. Is this a government issue, a church issue, a personal um, you know, evangelism type of issue? Let me throw out one example that I think kind of hits in both streams. I think we would all agree in a just system, right? That justice is blind. It doesn't matter who comes to court. Uh, it doesn't matter your, your gender, your race, LGBTQ, all that. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Justice is blind, right? Nothing should be decided because of who you are. It should have to do with what you've done. And yet, who would argue that the rich don't have a better, a better shake in court, right? If you're rich and you have to go to court, the practical reality is you have a better chance, right? You can afford a better lawyer. And so while we have a system that is good, the laws are right, yet we have practical issues involved that, that don't make it fair, per se. Certainly don't make it equal. You could argue if it's fair or not. All right, I have definitely changed Maybe keep your handouts and compare them from week to week, or if you need old ones, let me know. I have less up here. and I, Again, I wanted to present this more as a spectrum versus binary columns and categories. 
And yet, basically, remember that I think, well, for the most part, everyone agrees with the right side. We're gospel-centered people. We believe in conversions. We believe in preaching the gospel. We care about people's spiritual needs. And I think we would all agree at an individual level we're to be just people, right? As, as a Christian in the world, as an image bearer of God, we would not cheat somebody in a, in a personal dealing. That's all agreed upon. The question is, is how far left should we go? And that, so everyone over here agrees with all of this. I'm not saying they don't agree with this. I'm just trying to present that in addition to all that, people will want to go further and further left. And I'll give some examples of what I'm saying. So how? How do we do this? Well, those, those who are in the conversions camp say, well, I will preach the gospel to you. You'll get converted. Your life will be transformed because that's what the gospel does. And you will be a more just person. So the more converts we have in the, in the world, the more just our world will be. Well, no one's going to disagree with that. That's definitely true. These guys would say, well, in addition to that, I need to work on the systems. I'm not going to wait for conversion. I'm not going to assume conversion. There are political, legal, judicial systems in the world, economic systems that I can change and fix and reform to bring about justice in society if this happens or not. Certainly, we want this as well. And that that's a proper goal, right? It, you know, we're not just trying to get as many people to heaven, but we're displaying God's glory in the earth. Uh, this is the way he would want societies to work. The focus. These guys are concerned that the more we go left, it's not that it's wrong to do these things, that it would take the focus off of the gospel, right? You only have so much time. Um, pastors are equipped with certain things in seminary. Um, how much time and effort are you going to give um, to work in the world, right? And by the way, you could ask each of these questions from an individual level and from a church level. Um, who should be doing this? Who, who, who should be working? Say, say you're for social justice, but I'm all about me being involved in, in, in my week, uh, giving a lot of time maybe, maybe even making it my job. And yet I'm not very happy with my church doing these things. I want the church to stay focused. Let me run out. A lot of people would be in that camp, I think. And then these guys would want to make sure we don't forget the, the physical priorities. And so it's very possible that you would be, you know, if you put yourself as a dot somewhere on here, you'd be over here on an individual level, but over here on a church level, something like that. Is it right to bifurcate that kind of stuff? Is it right to say that I should be concerned in a way that my church, as a group of Christians, is not? So the right side of the board there would say that we would never resolve the issues of culture until the hearts of people are transformed by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. They're also concerned that we talked about what kind of issues are we typically talking about? Race, poverty, but also things that we would be a little less happy about LGBTQ, um, extreme feminism. These guys would, on the, on the far right here would be concerned that if you start taking in any social issue, you're going to take them all in. You can't work for racial reconciliation without opening the door to gay rights. And these guys would say, that's silly. Of course you can take an issue by issue and just take them each biblically faithful. Uh, even Keller as a transformationist would have a lot to say about out here. He, he is for social justice. And yet he knows there are people. He works in you know New York. There's a lot of people, social justice warrior, if you're not used to that term. Um, there would be people that would just approach the issue completely ungodly. He would not find fellowship out here. He'll find fellowship far more over here. I'll throw another name out here, John MacArthur, who would be probably as far right as you can get on here. Uh, a lot more fellowship there than over the line here, right? Even though on this issue, they're very much uh, at odds. These guys would be concerned that these that this side of the board is in their little holy huddle. You know, they only shop at Hobby Lobby or Chick-fil-A or buy essential oils. Um, they need to get out in the world a little bit and, and mix it up and, uh, and love their neighbor, right? The neighbor includes getting out of the church walls and into the world. And they would say, we're given dominion over all of God's creation, not just this area. You know, as, as human beings, we're put on, on top and we're to work the garden through all of history. And it's a spectrum because this is really more about, not one column or the other, but what weight of priority do you give? What, 
What weight of responsibility is there? Um, let me throw some things down here. So we talked about, as you go from right to left here, maybe at first everyone's going to agree, we avoid injustice, right? And I think there's some space in your handout to do this. Leviticus 19 just talks about, you know, follow the rule of law, show, don't show impartiality, pay what you promise, don't swindle people. Um, and then I, I'd add, in our culture, not everyone can say this, just be an informed voter, right? We have the opportunity in our culture to, to, to affect laws, right? And so if nothing else, do some research and try to get the right candidates and the right policies that you care for. And at some point, it's going to be a little more proactive. You're going to, um, I don't know how to say it. You're, you're, you're just going to notice more. You're not going to wait for your own personal dealings, but you're going to be proactive in your own life. You know, maybe your neighborhood or your you're on a sports team, or you, you see a way that, you, and you look for it. You're, you're asking the question, God, show me ways that I can work for justice in my personal life. Maybe not, I don't wait for those dealings to come to me. And this is all a spectrum. And at some point, you're going to have some really uh, sacrificial giving of your time. Maybe, you know, maybe you volunteer somewhere that's five hours, ten hours a week. Um, it's, it's, it's becoming a lot more of your psyche. And then at some point you, you're over here with an, as an activist. This is going to be an important part of your life. Maybe it's your job, but th this is an issue and it's not all of social justice, right? You're going to take an issue and you're going to run with it. So let's take maybe the issue of abortion for pro-life. I'm going to avoid injustice. I'm not going to kill my child. Well, that's obviously a good start. Um, I'm going to think about who I vote for, what kind of policies I want to advocate for. Maybe I'll get on some social media type of stuff. Um, maybe over here I start volunteering my time at the Women's, Life, Women's Resource Center or something like that, some kind of encouraging way or promoting adoption. And maybe over here I'm standing in front of an abortion clinic right, or I'm doing something. Just an example of what might be out there. And by the way, I'm not advocating that the middle here is the right place to be. The, I'm just trying to show where faithful evangelicals stand on these issues. I'm not saying that the center is the right and this is all in balance. It's not really that kind of an issue. And by the way, you again, you can look at these kind of a spectrum from an individual or a church issue. Maybe I'd be all the way over here, but I don't want Tim out there you know, right, on a Saturday night teaching. I want him worried about this. I don't know. There's this way some people are. And then you might think of in general, what's my goals in social justice? Maybe it's, I'll get out of the way for the people on the right side of the room here in a second. There's some immediate relief. Someone's in jeopardy. Someone needs help. Um, maybe the more the shelter type of a, a thing. I, that's a level of social justice that's pretty easy to accept, right? I need, I'm going to feed someone who's hungry on my doorstep. And then I'm going to work for maybe more development. This is a little more longer strategy. I want to train people. Um, I don't want to just feed them at the moment. I want to teach them, give them the skills they need to have a job. And then all the way to social reform. These are really changing institutions, um, however you, you think that's fit. That's, that's, I thought maybe that was missing from last week, a little fleshing out of what I mean in these issues. And we will have some chance for questions today if, if you're lost. And just think about it. For, for us to agree, the reason I want to have some liberty and charity here is for us to be agreed on a single dot wherever we are in there. Think about what we would have to agree on. We'd have to agree on what is unjust, who's responsible to correct that injustice, who is capable of correcting that injustice, how practically and likely it is to succeed, what priority of resource should be allocated towards that cause, what are the right policies to address, which solutions require legislation and regulation or other coercive acts, uh, which, which political or economic system is better at correcting that issue, right? We could be, we could all be for solving poverty. Someone's gonna say socialism's the way to do it, someone's gonna say capitalism's the way to do it. But we have the same issue, we have the same goal. What unintended consequences might, might happen? When you, you try to work for justice in one realm, we talked about that with affirmative action last week. Perhaps as you're working for justice from one perspective, 
people will feel unjust from another. These are complicated issues. All right, so now I want to jump ahead to our issue at hand. Today I want to focus on these categories, these theological, biblical categories of justice and mercy. And we kind of started that last week. So you got the uh, table in the back there. Hopefully I help you fill in what you need. Some definitions. These aren't perfect definitions, but to be just is to do or receive what is due based on a standard of right and wrong. Righteousness is very close to justice, but now we, our standard is God's law, his character. And so we're doing what's right and wrong in accordance with his standard. And then on the other side, we have mercy and grace. Mercy is not receiving what is due, having compassion on people. And grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Uh, it's a gift. It's unmerited favor. So very, very related terms. Um, and just by the sound of it, you can tell. We're saying justice and mercy on one side is, is what's due, right? There's a standard. You live up to the standard or you don't. Mercy and grace we're thinking of, well, you're getting better than what you deserve, right? You're not, you're not receiving the wrath you deserve. You're getting blessings that you don't deserve. So just immediately, and, and we went through this in our Westminster study, these categories are very important to distinguish as far as justice and righteousness versus mercy and grace. And I'll spend a lot of time in Romans here. Uh, Romans 4.4, 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So I'll say justice and righteousness. Oh good, I don't share any letters. <laughs> so we've got, we've got words like wages, work, uh, what's due. One who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. You keep reading. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So how do we get righteousness? Is it through what we deserve? Or what's given? Now we have faith. We have blessing. Just as Dave also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. We're not dealing with works in this category. We're dealing with mercy and grace. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In this category, God counts your sin, right? In this category, he doesn't. There's forgiveness. Paul is clearly contrasting these categories. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you take a righteous judge, you mix it with sinful man, and you're going to get death. You take a gracious God, so you have a, you have a gracious God, you have a Savior, you're going to have life. Eternal life. Those are pretty different outcomes, wouldn't you say? Very distinct. And yet, sometimes the Bible talks about our salvation, our forgiveness, being based on justice, not on mercy. First John 1 John 1.9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How on earth, after we've just defined these categories, can we look at our salvation from an angle of justice which results in death because we're all sinners versus an issue of mercy and grace where I need God's forgiveness. The answer is in Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. So this category deals with justified. We're justified by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We're still over here, right? This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We've talked about this a lot. This, this divine problem in God. I, I, I truly think, even if you don't believe these things, this is just such a wise, it's, it's, it's this awesome predicament that was set up with this awesome solution. It's only one solution to God's problem. If God doesn't love us, he can just live over here. You sin, you die, no problem. God is not unjust, right? The problem 
is that God loves us. <laughs> the problem is that God wants fellowship with us. And he is not going to, he would not even be capable of sacrificing his holiness and his justice and righteousness to have us. He can't sweep sins under the rug. He doesn't just forget them to wash them out of his memory. Those sins must be dealt with. And of course, the passage tells us where they dealt with. Right? They're dealt with on the cross. So because of Jesus, new color because it's a new day. Because of Jesus, because of the cross, we get it both ways. God can be just. He can be true to his nature. His wrath is satisfied. That's what that word propitiation means. His wrath is satisfied in Jesus at the cross. There's no injustice done. There's no... God didn't hang up his godhood for a day. He was able to completely be satisfied as a wrath that sins deserve. And yet, love us. By faith, appropriating Jesus, he can save us. And so, in the cross, God can be both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. It's an amazing story. That's the gospel. That, that is an amazing story to lay out for somebody. And so, when we talk about divine justice, we don't want to totally bifurcate these categories. They're important to keep distinct, but they do come together. And I'm going to suggest they also do that when it comes to human justice. We mentioned Romans 9 last week. God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy, right? How does God save us? How does he elect us? By mercy, right? What is the question that Paul is answering? Does anyone know? Is there injustice on God's sight, on God's part? By no means. He says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. And so even in Romans 9, on the electing love of God, the justice and mercy of God are coming together. God is not unjust to show mercy because of this reality. God is just through and through, through this whole process. So we don't want to separate the ideas of justice and mercy in the wrong way. They need to be distinguished. A lot of damage does when you, when you mix those together and you think you're going to earn your own salvation by your own works. But God is just by choosing us. He's just to have mercy on us. Why? He goes on to t talk about, we'll talk about the, the potter and the clay. The potter has every right over the clay. It's his clay, right? There's no injustice on the potter to do what he wants with the clay. It's his. He didn't owe this. None of this is owed. And so he's not unjust to show mercy to some and not to others. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? But who are you, a man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Sometimes we, often, usually, we look at it from our perspective. What do I deserve? What's fair for me? This is not fair, God. Do we ever consider what's fair for God? What's just for God? It's his creation. So I want you to hold that thought. We're going to come back to that thought um, after a little bit. Consider this. Say I'm a boss at work. Let's take this to a human realm now. Um, it's payday. It's the old days. No computers. It's all cash. Right? So I'm at work on a Friday, and I'm handing out. Someone brings their time card. Like, How long did you work? All right. What does your contract say? I'm going to pay you, right? I've given you what you've earned, what you're due. Are we out of sheets? These are half sheets. <laughs> the other side didn't come out if anyone needs it. Um, they might say thank you to be courteous, but they don't really mean it, right? If I didn't pay them what they were due, that would be unjust. I'm withholding what I owe them, and they're going to be rightly angry. Okay, so I've, I've settled accounts. I've done the right thing at work. Now I'm walking home, and I pass a guy who's asking me for money. Now this guy hasn't worked for me. I have not signed any employment contract with him. He doesn't have a time card to give me. He just wants money. I got still some money left over. I could give him, right? Totally different categories now, right? I don't owe him this money. You wouldn't per se say it's the just thing in every circumstance that I must give this money. Certainly not in the same way that I just did at work. Um, maybe I'll look at his circumstances. Man, you look pretty able-bodied to me. You know, if you put the, that liquor away, maybe you could make ends meet or... Or maybe it's different. Maybe they're completely disabled uh, and the situation changes. But, but however you deal with a certain situation, it's definitely in a different category than over here, right? No one's going to... It's not like I could walk around all of Las Vegas and feed every homeless person 
Or if I could do that, I couldn't do it throughout the whole state or the country or the world, right? At some point, I'm going to run out of money, even if I have the most generous heart in the world. Zechariah 7. This is where I really want to jump in to, I think I'm right here. Taking this issue now to the human level, Zechariah 7 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. This is just one example of many, many, many passages that talk about, in the Old Testament specifically, the categories that that would really relate here. Who are the weak and the vulnerable and the downtrodden? Uh, the Old Testament talks a lot about, number one, widows, orphans, the sojourner, or you might say immigrants, the poor. Those are kind of the four main categories he deals with. But of course, we could expand that to any vulnerable class, right? Migrant workers, refugees, single parents, homeless, the elderly. Bottom line is, we are to care for those whom God cares for. God has identified certain types of people, not just individuals, but types of people, categories of people that he's very concerned with. Or you could at least say was concerned with, right? And then we can make the argument on the New Testament. The widow, the fatherless, the soldier, the poor. And these, these people, of course, from an evangelical standpoint, wouldn't have deserved God's favor, right? There was, there was something in this and you can, when you take certain verses out of context, you can kind of see this. There's no merit in being poor, right? It's not like because you've screwed up your life or some tragic thing happened to you that you have somehow merited God's favor. Like you've earned it. Like you deserve it. Like you're right with God because you're poor and downtrodden. Some people have that mentality. And yet, God clearly has a special place for people who are vulnerable and are weak in our society. There's too many verses to to fight against that, to be honest. And so when we talk about us owing people what's their due, we talk about giving them what's due. is isn't because they've individually earned it. It's because we want to reflect the heart of God. If that is where God has put a priority for our time and resources and our heart, um, that's something we ought to reflect. I'm not fleshing out for you what that means, what that looks like, at least yet. But just to get that concept that to say that someone is due something isn't, it isn't because they're worthy. It's because it's the right ordering of things. It's where God's heart is. And, to, and so you could say on one hand, to, to hand out money to somebody is an act of mercy and grace. They didn't deserve it. They don't earn it. And yet another perspective, I can just as well say it's an act of justice. I'm being just. I'm giving God's resources where he wants them to go. Think of it that way. So there's two types of justice. I need another uh, grid here. Two types of justice that Keller is going to talk about. Two Hebrew words. I'm not going to pronounce them in front of my brother. The uh, first one is rectifying justice. You'll see that on your chart. Or it's somewhere in there. So it's the type of, it's usually translated just or justice. It's giving people their due, whether it's punishment, protection, or care. Um, and it's, it's really, it's a, it's an action. It's doing justice. It's executing justice. It's, it's mitigating situations. It's finding an issue where the, the justice that should be there is kind of broken down. And we're trying to help and mitigate those effects. A couple verses, uh, on their Deuteronomy 27 said, Cursed be anyone who preserves, perverts the justice due the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And the people shall say, Amen. Don't pervert justice that is due to these types of people. Proverbs 31, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Jeremiah 22, Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. So this action, you're to proactively do justice and you're to not pervert justice. The other type of justice he calls primary justice. That's usually translated right or righteous. 
And it can mean upright, or it can actually mean charity. Jews today would use this term for charitable giving. Um, The problem is your translation, sometimes some translations will say the same word as just, and the other one will say righteous. They're very close in meaning. This is more not doing justice so much as being just, being righteous. The Lord is called righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Right? We are the righteous. His laws are righteous. And it really it carries with it the meaning of right relationships. And so Keller would make the point, no matter where you fall on this, the very nature of this word, to be righteous, is social. Because it has to do with relationships. It doesn't make any sense. We're talking about social order. Right, right societies. Right laws. Right lives. Exodus 23 says, you sh- Did I just read that? No. You shall not pervert the justice due to the poor. Keep far from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent and righteous. For I will, I will not acquit the wicked. You shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. Deuteronomy 4. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. You should do them in the land when you are entering to take possession. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples. How we're going to be righteous is going to display itself to those around us. They will say, surely this great nation is as wise and understanding people. What a great nation is there that has God so near to them as the Lord, our God is to us, whenever we call upon him. What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all his law that I before you today? Psalm 37, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. And that's the type of verse where he got his title. The righteous are generous. So it is a righteous thing to be generous. It's not just a merciful thing. It is a merciful thing to be generous. But it's also a just and a righteous thing. It's what God expects. Right? We're not our own. Our resources, our talents, our abilities have been given to us by God. Yes, we've worked for them as well in some cases. You can work really hard. You can study for uh, you know your PhD exam. I don't know what you call that, sorry. <laughs> Whatever you just went through. But God gave you talents. He gave you an intellect. He gave you the ability. He put you in a country in the 21st century that lets you do certain things, right? We don't need to separate those things. If God has given us opportunity and resources, these are his. We are stewards, right? We're not owners. We're stewards of what is his. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And so if we think of it like that, I think it's pretty easy. And this is an eye-opener for me as I read these things. To, to go do what is merciful and gracious is at the same time just and righteous. Ed. The sheer complexity of this issue is uh, coming to me every night when I drive home to ask the park and live in Parkway because the city has closed that park down in the Umbridge area partially because of this being overwhelmed by the drug sales and so forth, but also because Right. Right. The other side of that angle, the other side of the being Exactly. There are valid issues on both sides in most cases, in my mind. Some of those can't just be a quick fix, right? Now you now you're talking about really thinking ahead and being proactive and the type of resources it would need. A great example, yeah. We as Christians know what righteousness is according to the scriptures that you read and stuff. But, you know, when you start pushing things to the left, none of that applies. Like in uh, Antifa, they want social justice, but they also want communism and socialism, which represses people just one side or another. You know, to to almost an impossible reality. Well, I definitely put them over here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it's more than just, again, this is hard to draw because it's not really a continuation. They've fallen off the cliff here. Yeah, so just because someone is for an issue that you're with doesn't mean they have the gospel. It doesn't mean you would do anything with them. Right? Right. That's a better example than falling off the cliff. Right. Yeah. Because you can only get so far unless it's the gospel. Yeah, yeah. So 
I don't take questions from Jessica. Okay. My question was about, um, like, I, I thought that abortion felt ni fell nicely into the chart, but I didn't know, like, in your reading, is abortion considered in the realm of social justice? I never thought, I, ne I don't think it I don't think it's one that typically is used in the cultural discussion. Uh -huh. I mean, I don't know who is more weak and vulnerable than yeah, <laughs> a one-month-old baby. I put it in that same category, but it fits. I, I would put it there. The um, yeah. yeah, I think there would be a lot of people who wouldn't. These okay. guys wouldn't typically think of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to if you think it's a child or not, right? And so that it's it's challenging. It's the, none of these, probably none, no issue is going to divide up nice, cut neat. Yeah, New Rachel would say something about this. Well, I think that it would be women's reproductive rights would go into the far left. Yeah, social justice issue. Right, that's a good point. Necessarily abortion, but. The woman's reproductive rights. They would see from the other way, the just thing is to encourage and enable abortion. Right. So that, that's a great example, Walt, where you could be using the same term social justice, but what's your standard of justice? That's, that's where we need to be biblically faithful, and we can't just go for this concept blindly and ignorantly. Keller, Keller's position now is when you use these two words, this justice and righteousness together, which happens over 40 times in the Old Testament, he says a proper translation of that verse now is social justice. Because you're doing justice, you're doing rectifying justice in a, in a society relationship-dependent righteousness. And people will argue with that. People will say, I see where you're going, but I don't like the term still. Or maybe because it's been co-opted. So let me just give a couple of examples. Psalm 33, he loves righteousness and justice. Jeremiah 9, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his, oh, I said that twice. He who understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. He would say a proper translation would be, I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love and social justice in the earth. Ezekiel 18, if a man is righteous and does what is just and right, rectifying justice, he does not oppress anyone, restores debtor to the pledge, commits no robbery, etc. He executes justice between man and woman, walks in my statutes, keeps my rules. He is righteous. And so these two concepts of justice and righteousness come together. Um, just a couple of random quotes here. Biblical justice includes all forms of God-ordained justice, including the rectifying justice that belongs to the government, what we call public or legal, as well as justice between individuals. Justice involving organizations and groups, what we call social justice. There's inter-individual justice. There's so many realms of this. Social justice and cohesion was lost in the fall. Justice is putting God's harmonious order back into the world and its relationships. From a Christian perspective, justice can be defined as when all God's creatures receive what is due them and contribute out of their uniqueness to our common existence. Keller would say, think of social justice like social shalom. As we overcome guilt and anxiety in our own individual lives, so society needs that, right? If we're messed up people, we need the peace of God. You would say society. You can think of society in the same way. To do justice means to live in a way that generates a strong community where human beings can flourish. All right, I know I'm running out of time for questions. I apologize for that. I promise much more next week. Uh, so what are some of the implications? I'm going to get back to the chart we originally had. Think about the potter uh, right over his own clay. Even more so, God over not raw material that he was given, but he created that raw material, right? Totally different categories. Matthew 6 is a great verse. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. So he's got this category of practicing your righteousness and hypocrisy and, and you know, do what's right, don't do it for the show of man. His first example of that is giving to the needy. So giving to the needy in this sense is not called charity. It's not called generosity. What does he call it? It's an act of righteousness. That's a righteous act. If it's a righteous act, if it's, it's giving someone what they are due, again, not because of what they've done, because of God has chosen to love them, then really to not do it is unjust. It's not just a lack of mercy. It's, it's unjust. And to give them not what... To not give them what they're due means you're really robbing from them. 
If, if I was paying wages at work and I don't, if I defraud them, I've robbed them of what they owe. So in the same case over here, for a different reason, I owe certain people certain things. These weak and vulnerable people, these needy. Again, I don't, fleshing this out is tough, but I'm actually robbing them. And I'm not just robbing them because it's really God's resources. I'm really robbing God. You know, if the master gives the servant some talents and says to do something with it, he doesn't, he doesn't obey the master. He's really robbed from God. That's where Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats is really getting at. When you've given a drink of water, when you've, you've, you've housed somebody, you've really done that to me, right? Go into my everlasting kingdom. When you've not given the water, when you've not given the shelter and the food, you've done that to me. Off to judgment. Why? It's not that we're gospel-centered people, right? It's not that doing an act is going to earn our way into heaven. But as we said, people who are justified will act justly. That will absolutely transform your life. And so at the end of time, at the judgment, we should be able to tell very well, without even a confession, right? We should tell by how you've lived your life, where you stand, if you've understood the gospel and the cross. Proverbs 14, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. It's like the command to love. Romans 13 says, oh, no, anything except to love each other. For me to love you because you deserve it is really nonsensical. The whole idea is that I love you because I choose to love you. You're, you can be so unlovely. You don't deserve my love. Yet Romans 13 says, I owe you love. So in that sense, you deserve it. Not because you've earned it, because God has it. It's the same thing. Social justice is an example. Well, justice, I should say, because what you mean by social, we'll keep talking about these weeks. Justice is an example of that. We're loving our neighbor. It's, it's, it's a simple fleshing out of what it means to love your neighbor. And none of us, hopefully, <laughs> have any issue with the command to love our neighbor. All right, I know I'm probably over time. Not too bad. Probably have time for one or two questions, comments. And I promise we're going to get into a lot more. Yeah. Uh, those two parties, they know what's the problem, social justice. But both parties, they also know they cannot solve this problem. Only God can solve. Yeah. So we need to, so God uh, taught us about prayer. So prayer is the only solution. That's why yeah, that's what a lot of these guys would say is, even if you want to go to the left here, let's not forget the priority of divine justice. Let's make sure these guys, the Antifa folks, let's make sure they understand the gospel. Let's not, let's not even talk about social justice, right? Let's get to the gospel. Let's realize that in all of our efforts, we will always have the poor with us, right? Ultimately, only God can solve these issues. And that's where we can really rest on grace. That doesn't relieve us of responsibility. That doesn't mean we're not going to die tired, right? We're going to run this race. And yet ultimately our hope, we're, we don't have the resources. We can't change hearts, that's for sure. Uh, we can't even change the hearts of kings to, to adjust society systems. Um, great point. The, none of this can just be activity. Uh, the, the, is it Mary or Martha? <laughs> Martha activity. We need to rest at the feet of Jesus as we do that activity. Great point. I can get you a fuller bit of it. This is Generous Justice by Keller. What is the mission of the church as we'll use next week? But next week we're going to ask the question, is social justice a gospel issue? Is social justice part of the mission of the church? That's by DeYoung and Gilbert. But yeah, I, can, I'm, I have a partial bibliography made that I'll probably have at some point. Yeah. Can you talk about it outside of postmodernism? Uh, yes. But what, what, what's your, what's the specific question? Like, because if you go deep down into it, you tend to be labeled as an extreme conservationist because you have to talk about absolute truth. How do you define Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think there would be a lot of people over here, and Keller talks about it in his book. He, he's, he's just as critical. I mean, I'm kind of presenting his critique of this side. He's just as critical of the postmodern. He has a lot of postmoderns in Manhattan, as you can imagine. They don't care about personal morality. They don't care about faith and repentance. Um, 
I mean, the challenge for them is, why do you care about social justice? In your world, there's no such thing as justice. There's no standard. But it's, it's very emotive. Um, but at the same time, they're image bearers of God. They have a sense of justice. They just can't articulate it. They don't accept it. But the reason they do care about those who are weak and downtrodden, however they define them, even if they get it wrong, like in the abortion issue, that's a God-given concern for their fellow human being. Um, their worldview doesn't make any sense at that point. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but... Yes, you are, but there, there is an overlap from the biblical perspective of social justice and the postmodernist perspective. Let's talk afterwards, and maybe I can flesh that out more in the coming weeks. Barb? Is it just one of the issues of mainstream denominations Yeah, it's a, and again, I can get into some naming names if we need to. Um, yeah, it's a big fight. Um, some, some of it's just a nice consideration. Some of it's a big fight. Uh, and churches and dominations are probably going to split over this even more than they have. I, I think it's going to be more and more. And I think some of it, unfortunately, is just, just not having a conversation. They're just hearing a term and running with it. If, you, if Keller says he's for social justice and you just assume he's Antifa, I mean, that's not fair. To say you're for conversionists and you're extreme, you're a white Nazi, that's not fair either, right? Let's, let's get our Bible out and sit, sit down and talk about these things. I think we wouldn't necessarily be on all the same page, but we'd be a lot closer if we would do that. I think there's a lot of fear. Like, yeah. I think fear, I, I think that defines, when I think of this subject, fear is the thing that the most common feeling that I have is fear that our denominations are going to break down and that fear is like the overriding that it's going to destroy the conservative well we I mean we we want to have some confidence that God's word is right it'll prevail if we get labeled wrongly so be it we want to be sensitive and conversant in that process Um, hopefully maybe we talk about it be less fearful I don't know we'll see or more we've got to go we're way over time so let me close this in prayer Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for this topic. Thank you for your word. Help us, Father, if perhaps we've had blind spots in our own reading, uh, our own concern for our neighbor, if at the very least in our own individual lives that we would love justice, we would actively pursue justice. And help us, Father, uh, to consider what that means for us as a church. Um, Help us think very carefully about these things. Um, thank you for the gospel. There's so many things we will die not understanding. Thank you that we have a Savior. Thank you for all of our sins in this area and every area where we have a Savior. Our sins are paid for. Um, Thank you that you're such a wise God that you can be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Help us to trust in your gospel. Trust in that good news of Christ. Help us to worship him even more now as we go into the service. Help us as we sing to consider the words, our hearts to cry out, as we hear the message, as we participate in the sacrament. Help us, Father, to meet with you in a fresh way this this morning and prepare us for the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.